Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. So excited to be back. Uh, as, as many of you know, I wasn't here last weekend. My wife and I were we were traveling last week, and uh, boy, we came back to the reality that it's a new season. Seasons are changing around here. Have you noticed? We went we went out to dinner on Thursday night, and um, you know, Thursday night was the fall of the autumn equinox. You know, that's the moment where the sun is directly over the equator, and so you have 12 hours of day, 12 hours of night, and then after you cross that, the nights just get longer, the days get shorter, right? And you say, well, how do you know that? I know that because when we were having dinner, we ran into Ron and Crystal Bolton, and he's into astronomy, and he told me all that. So I, I didn't know that before then, but I got educated at dinner Thursday night. I just wanted to pass it along. We were in New Mexico last weekend enjoying the weather in the southwest, and, uh, and then we came back here Friday night. We were at the high school football game. And I'm going to tell you, these bones were not ready for the breeze that blows through that stadium up on the hill. It's a new season. I didn't come to talk about the weather, though, this morning. How many of you know that seasons come and seasons go even in the cycle of our emotions? On Monday, Day and I were celebrating 24 years of marriage. And yeah, Amen. <laughs> I know you're clapping for her. It was easy for me. It was an easy 24, but I appreciate your encouragement. But on uh, last night, we were actually here having a different kind of celebration. Last night, we celebrated a funeral service for one of our members. Joan Parsons went home to be with Jesus a few weeks ago, and last night we had that service, and I was reminded as I was standing right here ministering last evening that, that life comes in seasons. That celebration felt a lot different than our celebration on Monday and, and from even Sunday to Sunday, coming in the doors of the church, we can, we can be coming in with a lot of different emotions, feeling a lot of different feelings in our lives. I was thinking about that funeral service, and often when I'm preparing for a funeral, I, I think of an obscure verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I'll show you the verse. It says in verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. What a weird statement. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, according to Jesus, would say better to, to celebrate the homegoing service for Joan Parsons than to celebrate the anniversary party. Why? Not because it's more fun. He said it's better. He said it's better. Why? Because Death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take it to heart. He said it because Solomon understood that in some seasons, our hearts are more receptive to eternal matters. I was reminded of that last night as I was presenting the gospel from this platform to those in that funeral service. There's, there's a tenderness that exists there. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, we got to kind of fight through it. You know, I got to, I don't know, I got to do something silly or crazy or get loud or be animated because I feel like I'm fighting for your attention. But in a funeral, you can hear a pin drop and it's not because people aren't listening. It's because they're leaning in. There's this sensitivity that says, I need a word from God right now. So Solomon said, it's better. It's better that you come into those moments and those seasons in your life when you you hear Jesus talked about it. In Matthew chapter 13, he gave the parable of the, the four soils. Uh, my Bible calls it the parable of the sower. Maybe yours does too. But it's really 
about four different soils. He says the farmer goes out and he scatters the seed, and the seed is the word of God. And some of the seed, it falls along the path. And the birds come and they eat up the seed before it has time to, to, to take root and germinate. And he said that's like, that's like when the enemy comes and steals the word. Happens every Sunday. People receive a word from God, and before they even get out of their car at home, the enemy has already stolen away that word before it could produce a harvest in your life. Whether it's distractions or emotion or a confrontation or busyness. Jesus said sometimes the seed is scattered and it falls on rocky ground. And, and that's like when the, 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 the seed goes in the soil, but because there's rocks there, it takes no root. There's a lot of people that receive the word like that. They say, yes, I'm a believer now since Jesus set me free. But then tribulation and hardship comes in their life. Immediately, their faith withers in the heat of adversity. No roots. Jesus said sometimes the seed of the word is scattered and it lands on thorny ground. And the thorny ground is those people that they receive the word and they believe it too. But then the, the, the cares of life. Choke out the seed before it can produce fruit. And then Jesus said there, there's a fourth type of soil, and that's the good soil. And the seed falls on the good soil, and, and, and it produces a harvest of a hundred, of sixty, of thirty-fold sometimes. And he says the good soil is those that hear and understand. And, and what's fascinating about that story is that the seed never changes. The sower never changes, just consistent, scattering the seed, and the seed is the word of God. But God help us that we would be in a season that our hearts would be tilled, that our hearts would be fertile soil to receive the word of God this morning, that it would produce a harvest in our lives. Two weeks ago, I started this little two-part series, and I shared with you in that message that if you're going through a difficult season, the most important thing is that you keep going. I mean, if you're going through it, go through it. Don't stay there. Don't camp out there. David said he makes me lie down in green pastures, but he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't get that twisted. Don't go through the valley or don't go through the green pastures and still waters and then lay down in the valley. He said, he leads me through the valley. So if you're going through it, just keep going. It's just a season. But the second thing that I encouraged you with in the first message of this series was this. Not everything is seasonal. And we need to remember that. Before we disqualify what God might want to say and do in your life today based on what you might be feeling or facing, some things are not seasonal. And I said this. I'll say it again. No matter what season you're in, you can know God is faithful. And because God is faithful, you can be fruitful. Because God is faithful, you can be fruitful. Jesus said it like this in John 15 in verse 5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will, you will bear much fruit. Not you might, not you have the potential, not it could happen. You will bear much fruit if you remain in me and apart from me you can't do anything 
And so in that first message, and I just want to impress this upon your heart again, I shared five ways that you can push through, power through any season. And I used that word power as an acronym. Those five things were, the P was pray. How many of you know the Bible says pray at all times? Pray without ceasing. No matter what season you're in, I'm going to tell you it's the right time to call on God. The O was obey. How many of you know it's always fashionable to obey the Lord? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The W is for worship. Worship. Say, well, when when should I worship God? What season should I worship in? Well, did you breathe? If you just breathe, you just missed an opportunity. Because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So let's, let's take advantage of the moment in this season to worship God. The E stood for evangelism. Paul told Timothy, he said, preach the gospel in season and out of season. In season and out of season. So when should I share my faith? When should I evangelize? When, when, the, when, the, you know, when it's palatable to the culture? When people want to hear it? In season and out of season. When he said that, he didn't mean summer and winter or spring and fall. What he was saying is when it's popular, when it's trending, when people want to hear it, and when it's not. When they're persecuting you, when they're, when they're running you out of town, preach the gospel. Evangelism is not seasonal. And the final thing was receive. How do you power through any season? Receive. Know that in any moment, listen, God's Ear is not deaf. His arm is not short. The Bible says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. You can receive from God in every season. Whatever season you're in, I I want you to know, and this is my heart in in this message today. I want you to know that whatever season you're in, it's by divine design. That God has a purpose for the season that you're in. How do I know that? I know that because God doesn't waste our experiences. God doesn't waste our moments. He uses them. And if you're a note taker, I got three simple points, just three things I want to tell you. It's going to take me 23 minutes to do it, but just three things I want to tell you. Number one, God is working. He's working. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, and we know That in all things, God works for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, how many of you have heard that verse before? Yeah, so many of you have heard that verse. Many of you have memorized that verse. But I don't want to know if you've memorized it or not. I want to know if you know. Because he said, we know in all things God works. Works. So if you don't know, you need to know this today. If you do know, you need to be reminded. In fact, I shared a verse in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night from 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter believed in reiterating truth. He, he believed in preaching the same thing. You know, I don't get to preach the same message twice too often. Last weekend, I got to preach from my friend Anthony out in New Mexico and I was like, wow, this is, this is it. I can preach anything. Nobody's heard this before. This is unique. I kind of like this. When I started digging through the archives, I'm like, whoo, man, what do I want to say? Nobody's heard my jokes before. <laughs> but Peter actually says you ought to say the same thing multiple times. 
So I'm not here to give you a revelation today. I'm here to give you a reiteration of the fact that God is working. Listen to what Peter said. He said, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know. You know them, and you are firmly established in the truth that you now have. Verse 13, he said, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body. Why, why did he say it's right to remind even though you know? It's right to remind even though you know because we forget to live by what we know. doesn't matter if you can find the verse in your Bible this morning or even if you can quote the verse. Do you live by the verse? How many of you know there's a big difference between knowing and going? There's a big difference between understanding and applying the word. When Jesus talked about the wise man in Matthew chapter 7, he said the wise person is the one that hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. That's the wise builder who builds his house on the rock. Not just the one that pays attention or shows up at church or does their daily devotion, but the one who hears and applies the word. James' little brother, Jesus' little brother James came along in James chapter 1 verse 22 and he said this, do not merely be listeners of the word. Don't just listen to the word. You'll deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. So, so let me just say it again, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you love him today? Do you know that when he called you, he did it for a purpose? That this wasn't some random selection. That this wasn't some eternity lottery system. That God called you for a divine purpose. Because if you know that and you love him, you can know that God is working in every season. You can know that God is not only working, but he's working for your good. Now, now pay attention to that verse. It doesn't say that all things are good. Because not all things are good. We live in an evil world. And misfortune behooves all of us. He doesn't say that all things are working because sometimes things don't work. We try and we fail. We give it our best and it doesn't work out. But what it does say is that in all the things, God is working and he's working for your good. I love Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4. It says every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. In other words, he's in control. He's the master architect. He's the master mind. He's working. That's why Solomon said, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's, it's the Lord's purpose. Why? Because he's the builder of everything. I love Proverbs 21, 31. It says, the horse is made ready for the battle, but victory Rest with the Lord. In other words, you got to plan the work. You got to work your plan. But at the end of the day, you got to know that God is working and the victory rests with the Lord. We, we can do our best, but it's in his hands. It's his purpose that prevails. We, we're working on a plan right now. I want to tell you about something we're going to do in, 
in November. We've never done this before. I've never even seen it done before. But we feel like the Lord put it on our heart, so we're going to do it. Have you ever seen those uh, pop-up shops that, you know, little boutiques, boutique stores that just show up, you know? Uh, especially this time of year, I'll give you an example of what I mean when I say a pop-up shop. Like you see a, um, a strip mall area and there's just a vacant building and all of a sudden September comes and a Halloween store goes in there, right? And it's like spirit store and you're like, where'd that come from? And it's there until November and then they slash the prices and then a week later it's gone. Pop-up shop. In November, we're going to launch a pop-up church. It's just what it sounds like. Just for every Tuesday night in November, we have rented out the Columbia Market House in Columbia. And on Tuesday night, there's a church popping up. And we're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. We're going to lead them in worship. We might even, we might even fill up a tank if we can find one and baptize folks. But we're just going to pop up for a month. We're going to have church. Isn't that exciting? Say, wow. You think it'll work? I don't know. We're going to make the horse ready for battle. But the victory belongs to the Lord. It rests with the Lord. But it's good to know in every season, God is working. If we can just get in step with him, he's working. Can I tell you who else is working today? Jesus is working. Our Savior, who hung, bled, and died on that cross, and we celebrated it in communion earlier. He didn't stay in the grave. He is working today. In fact, I love what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always working. And because my father is always working to this very day, I too am working. Th this statement is Jesus' defense. Now, the reason they began to persecute him is because there was a man that was sitting by the uh, pool and he had been there for 38 years. He was paralyzed. And Jesus came up to him and he healed the man. And that wasn't even, the, they didn't even have a problem with that. The problem they had was after he healed the man, he told him to get up, take his mat that he'd been laying on, and walk. And the religious leaders said, that sounds like work. You can't work on the Sabbath, Jesus. That doesn't sound silly. Can I just pause and say, no wonder the world laughs at some of the silliness of a religious spirit. That, that's, that's what a religious spirit does. That's just silly. And so Jesus' defense for them saying, you can't tell a guy to work on the Sabbath day, Jesus said, well, my father's working. And if my father's working, I'm working. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And so I'm never going to take a day off from doing good. If there's an opportunity to be a blessing, I'm going to seize that moment. It's not going out of season. It's the right time to do good works. If there was ever a time in Jesus' life that we would excuse him from not being busy about the Father's business, it would have to be on the worst day of his life 
the day that Jesus is carrying the weight of the world, the day that Jesus goes to the cross, nobody would expect him to, to do anything more. But Luke chapter 23 introduces a man to us. In about verse 26, we meet a guy named Simon of Cyrene. Now, this is a unique character. Simon is the only man in human history that was made to carry the cross of Christ. Every other man has to make their own mind up. I know sometimes we, we, would, like to, we would like to parent our kids or raise our grandkids with that Simon of Cyrene mentality, like, you will carry your cross. You will be a Christian. But how many of you know, hey, you can't make someone follow Jesus? You can't make anyone carry the cross. It's our responsibility to lead them and to introduce them to the, the loving embrace of a Savior, to, to, to pallet the gospel in a way that is so desirable, but only Simon was made to carry the cross. And so the, the Roman soldiers, Jesus was falling under the weight of the cross, and they said, you, get over here, carry the cross. And so Simon takes the cross beam on his shoulder. And here's what's amazing about that story in Luke 23, about verse 28 through 31. Right after Simon takes the cross off of Jesus' shoulder, the Bible says Jesus turned. And he began to prophesy to the women that were mourning and wailing and crying and following him up the Via Della Rosa, the, the road of suffering. He begins to prophesy to them. He begins to actually speak a message. I, I don't know what that says to you, but when I read that in my personal devotion a couple weeks ago, that hit me so hard. I heard the Holy Spirit just say to me, Aaron, I need you to carry the cross so that my word can go forth. I just wonder if the church would be more willing to carry the cross if, the, if God would have another message, if God would speak to people more clearly. And when I think about that story, I just wonder if, if Jesus, in the midst of the most difficult day of his life, had a word to encourage those women who were weeping and crying, watching him go up the Via Della Rosa. If his word can break through in their life in that season, what in the world would make any of us think that God's word can't break through in our lives today? I mean, what could you possibly be facing right now that would make you think, Jesus can't speak to me now, Jesus can't get through to me now? He's got a word. Why? Because Jesus is always, always Working. Even when they got him all the way up the hill of the skull. And they laid him down on that cross. And they drove those spikes through his hands and through his feet. They lifted that cross up and it dropped down into a hole. And his body convulsed. The Bible says in Psalms that all of his bones were out of joint. Jesus is hanging there. He's asphyxiated. By the weight of his own body, compressing his lungs. He has to make a decision every few seconds. Am I, am I going to push up on these nails through my feet and get another breath? Or am I going to suffocate under the weight of my own body? For three hours, he agonized that way. And yet, in that moment, in that moment, Jesus was working. The Bible says after three hours... One of the criminals on the cross next to him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, if there was ever a moment in the life of Jesus, in the humanity of Jesus, that he could clock out and say, I got my own thing going on over here. 
This is that moment. But Jesus makes a decision right then. He, he, he pushes up on the nails. He gets one more breath full of oxygen, and he speaks a word of grace. And he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. I'm telling you, there's nothing limiting the word of Jesus in your life today. There's nothing keeping him. If he can speak a word of grace and save just one more soul in his dying breaths, I want you to know he's working to communicate to you today. He's got a word for you in this season, whatever season you're in. Jesus is working. The Father is working. You know who else is working today? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working. You know, a lot of people, they don't recognize the work of the Holy Spirit because they give the credit to God the Father and God the Son. And that, that's understandable because a lot of what the Spirit, in fact, everything that the Holy Spirit does, He does in close communication with the Father and the Son. So there's a lot of people that they recognize the work of the Spirit, they just don't attribute the credit to Him. They don't realize this is the third person of the Trinity who's working. And the Bible is so full of, of information about what the Spirit is doing and how He works. In fact, Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16 spoke extensively about what the Holy Spirit would do when He came to do His work in the earth. Look at a, a couple verses with me. In John 16, verse 12, it says, Jesus told his disciples, I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Did you know it's the Holy Spirit that's guiding you towards the truth today? It's the Holy Spirit that guides you into truth. He says he'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. He'll tell you what is yet to come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He begins to reveal to us what is to come? In verse 14, he says, he'll glorify me. Say, so what's the Holy Spirit doing today? He's exalting Jesus. In fact, let me just go a step farther and say, if anybody does anything in the Holy Spirit's name that moves your attention away from Jesus and onto them or anybody else, it's not led by the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always glorifies the Son. He says in verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus says. And that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus says God the Father is in control of it all. He's the master architect. He's the builder of everything, but he gave all the authority to me. And now I tell the Holy Spirit what to do. And he comes and he ministers to you. Let's go back a little farther in the conversation. Same night, they're sitting around the table. This is the Last Supper it says in verse 7 and 8 of John 16, Jesus said, But truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, what's he going to do? He'll provide, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. We call that conviction. Have you felt that before? You feel a conviction in your heart, or maybe you see something happening in our culture, and you're grieved. There's something on the inside of you that's grieved. You're like, that's, that's wrong. That's evil. That's sinful. That's an offense to God. That's the Holy Spirit working. You didn't know. You were born a sinner. 
You didn't used to have those. You didn't, you weren't born with a conviction about evil. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us and proves the world wrong. John chapter 14, if you go back to the beginning of this conversation, Jesus says in John 14, 16, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate. What's the Holy Spirit's role? He says to help you and to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth, he says. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, you're gonna know the Holy Spirit because he's with you right now. He lives with you. They've been living with Jesus for three years. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is my spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one. You're going to recognize him because he's with you, but get ready because he will be in you. And we know now, in hindsight, he was speaking specifically about 50 days after his resurrection on the day of Pentecost. Even, even the apostle Paul, he understood the, the continual work of the Holy Spirit, and he wrote extensively to the New Testament church, specifically to the church in Corinth, about the Holy Spirit's role in the church. Let me just share a couple verses with you. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. You say, what's the Holy Spirit doing? What's he? He's giving gifts. He's distributing gifts of the Spirit, gifts of faith, gifts of generosity, gifts of administration, gifts of healing. He, he's giving gifts. He's distributing them. But a couple verses later, in that same chapter, in verse 11, it says, all these gifts, and he had listed a bunch of them, all these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit's not just the one that's giving the gift. He's the one that's picking the gift. He's looking at your life, your talent, your abilities, your, your, your experiences, and he's, he's selecting gifts. The moment a person gets saved, Jesus is the Savior, but the Holy Spirit is determining and distributing gifts for the church to operate in the Spirit's power. It's no wonder that when Paul wrote his last letter to the Corinthians, he ended it like this. He said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want to tell you, church, whatever season you might be in or whatever season you're anticipating, you need to know this is a season that the Holy Spirit is working. He's working right now. What's he doing? He's glorifying Jesus. He's drawing you to the Father. He's guiding you into truth. He's working to, to help you. He wants to be your advocate, your counselor, your friend. He wants to be with you forever. He's working to empower the church. He's disseminating gifts for ministry. Over and over and over again, Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let's not ignore the powerful work of the third person of the Trinity. The question is not if he's working or if he's speaking. The question is, are we, are we listening? Are we listening? For the last two Sundays, we've We've made these cards available. I hope, I hope you have one of those yellow cards. 
Well, I had one. I think I lost it here somewhere. But these cards simply say on them, New Life Sunday. New Life Sunday's next weekend. Pastor Chris mentioned it earlier. New Life Sunday. On the back of the card, it says, I'm praying and inviting. And then there's a line for a name to come and see. That statement, come and see, comes from John chapter 1, verse 46. And we've, we've challenged you the last two Sundays. I'm going to do it again today. I want to challenge you to, to put a name on that card. To, to specifically pray for and invite someone to do what Philip invited Nathaniel to do in John 1.46. Come and see. When, when I look at that invitation, I'm reminded that Philip's invitation and ours is not an invitation to information. It's an invitation to an experience. He didn't say, sit and listen. He said, come and see. I thank God for online ministry. we got people watching online right now. and I mean, we learned through the last two years that, that the gospel can go forth through many, many ways. I praise God that, that the digital doors of this church are wide open. But, but let's all be honest. We've all been on the other side of the, of the screen, and it's better in person. There's something about the experience of being with God's people in God's presence. So we need to invite people like Philip invited Nathaniel. Come and see. Now, I want to show you something in that story. Because I want you to see how the Holy Spirit is working through our efforts. After Philip said to Nathaniel, just come and see. It says in the next verse, verse 47... When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. Now what happened in this moment? Because let's be honest, what Jesus said doesn't sound all that revelatory. I mean, it took a whole lot more than that for the other disciples to get to this point. You know, Jesus, I mean, he had to fill the boat, the boat full of fish before Peter, you know, surrendered his life to follow Jesus. He had to walk on water and get into the boat before they bowed down and worshiped him as Lord. But Nathaniel hears Jesus say, I saw you under the fig tree. And he goes, you're the son of God. What was happening? I'm going to tell you what was happening. The Holy Spirit was already working in Nathaniel's life when Philip said, come and see. What we don't get in the text, and we'll ask him when we see him, but we don't know what Nathaniel was saying or thinking about when he was sitting under that fig tree. I don't know. Maybe he was sitting there all by his lonesome saying, God, do you even see me? God, do you even know that I'm here? Maybe he was in that moment saying, God, when are you going to send the promised Messiah that you said would come? When are you going to deliver Israel? I don't know what he said, but I know when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, it meant everything to Nathaniel. And church, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. 
through us. So many times we put too much confidence in our work. Not enough confidence in the Holy Spirit's work. And we play out the conversation in our head. You know, you get your little card and you're like, ah, okay, if I can talk to him. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask him, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Hey, you know, and we play out the whole thing. And then we come up to somebody and, and our palms are sweating and we're nervous. And, and we don't know how to have the conversation. We put way too much emphasis on what we're going to say. And all, all Jesus said was, I saw you under the fig tree. You don't know. Maybe that coworker of yours tomorrow morning is sitting at their kitchen table going, God, do you even, do you care? Do you even care about me? I mean, if you really care, would you just send somebody today to let me know? And then you come walking up at the water cooler and you're nervous and it's awkward and you never invited somebody to church, but it's New Life Sunday and pastor said do it. And you're like, I, you know, I, I just wondered if, I just want to let you know, well, I, I care about you, and, and that's all you had to say. And you're still trying to find the words to invite them to church, and the Holy Spirit has shot a lightning bolt through their soul. God cares about me. He actually sent someone, and they told me exactly what I asked him to tell me. Can I tell you, I don't care what season it is, God's working. God's working. He's building his church. He's working. Jesus is working. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, the blood still flows. The cross is still enough. This is the season where Jesus is working. The Holy Spirit is working right now. The Bible says no one seeks the Father unless the Spirit draws them. Right now, there are people that are far from God. Don't disqualify your invitation and forget that you work in partnership with the greatest soul winner in the universe. The Holy Spirit is drawing them to salvation. He's drawing them. I want to invite you to stand with me. I've asked this worship team to come because...